Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's a fine day to be inside listening to the radio. We're happy to provide you entertainment while you're sheltering yourself from the weather. (laughs) We were walking in here today, and Dan was like, sure is a nice day to go inside. (laughs) We thought, probably probably not going to be too many people listening to the show today. Tons of people. Yeah, we probably still got our loyal listeners. We've got a tons, tons, tons. Well, that's the beauty of the KVEC app, the website. You know, there's so many ways you can stream that radio show outside while you're soaking up the rays. And I saw one of those Corona commercials this week. You know, where the guy's like sitting in the beach chair, Uh, finding his beach. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and with the Corona, and and he was tuning Mortgage Matters right there on. A little handheld. Really? Matters in the Corona on the beach. Can't, yeah. can't be without my mortgage matters. Yeah, probably get a little sun chair and everything and all that. Yep, yep. And by the way, isn't it a big uh, big day today? For big day. Yeah. yeah, it was It was actually five years ago yesterday that a little show, awesome. Mortgage Matters, started on KVEC with a little half-hour spot on Saturday morning. That's a, yeah, that been looking forward to this day though so dan happy anniversary happy anniversary <laughs> and, and jim some what'd kind you of, get me um <laughs> i it talk. must be it must be hidden really well <laughs> i was actually thinking it would be sweet if jim would bring us back from the breaks with like uh some you know some love songs uh, that's, what I, that's what i have for you love and adoration well. dig up there <laughs> Yeah, man. Five full years of doing Mortgage Matters. It, my, how the time goes by. And it's been it's been super fun. You know, it's a, they say if you do anything for five years, it becomes a habit. So I, I feel like it's a habit for me. <laughs> Getting up on Saturday, coming down to the radio station. Yeah. I, and I love having you guys in here on a Saturday. It's, uh, I've learned a lot from your show, actually. I've been doing it for what two and a half. Yeah, you're. You should probably just go ahead and get a uh, get a license and just become a loan officer. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got to if you're if you're sitting over there listening every to all Saturday this, morning, from you've got to have a captive audience over here. You got to have a pretty good pool of knowledge here about this stuff. Yeah. Well. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'll talk Let's to see. you, Jason, during the week. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Kind of a fun week, huh? Loads of fun. Exciting week. Lots of economic data. And, you know, um, the – was it Monday? It was Monday – um, when the, when the big stuff in Boston happened, the explosions at the marathon was just a really sad and, uh, another reminder of the terrible things that people are capable of. And, um, I actually was on, um, during the Congleton show with John, he brought me on to do an interview and we, we kind of like the news was just breaking and it was, it's difficult to try to like be upbeat and talk about that. And still the tragedy out there is, is rocking a lot of people, but 
Okay, now, at least, you know, like yesterday, I saw there were some pretty good celebrations over feeling like they caught the the guys and, and got rid of the problem. So, yeah, it kind of hit home too because one of our one of our marketing staff actually relocated from the Central Coast, where he was born and raised, out to Boston. What is probably a little less than a year ago. And so he was right there. He was actually thankful he worked for a California company that didn't give him Patriot's Day off to, to go. go down to the yeah. – <laughs> yeah. But he was on lockdown all week or, you know, periodically during the week. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a freaky situation. So we're glad Ryland made it through the the scare this week. Yeah. Yeah. We had I had some family out there too that was thankfully, you know, I mean physically unaffected. But it sounds like it was just – Terribly emotionally draining for everyone involved. But, well, we had people from San Luis running in the marathon. Too, yeah, so I saw that list. There was a list of locals that were out there. It's a pretty big deal. So, yeah, and then um, so that that covering the headlines um, kind of trumped what was a pretty busy economic week. I mean, there was an awful lot of data that came out this week, and uh, so we'll, we'll talk more about that during the show. We got an early bird caller here. Already knew the number. We didn't even have to give it out. So, yeah, let's go ahead and take a phone call here. We got Brian calling from Crescent. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, guys. Congratulations yeah. on your five years. That's uh, commendable. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, um, question on a um, – uh, I've got a, a good friend of mine out here in the Santa Margarita Crescent area. He's got a uh, uh, modular home, a manufactured home that's on a foundation um, – and he's looking at refinancing, and um, he went with a local uh, um, uh, credit union here, and um, they said that they need to have a uh, 30% equity uh, ratio to, you know, 30% value or what, whatever, 30% yeah. equity in before they could think about refinancing. Is that uh, kind of an industry standard for manufactured homes or – no, not necessarily. I mean, so first of all, like the, the credit unions and some of the local banks, when they're doing programs like that, they're more or less offering, it's almost like personal loan type of stuff. I mean, it, it does end up secured, but it's not uncommon for those kinds of institutions to require um, more equity or, you know, what we call lower loan to value. So in that case, it sounds like they're willing to lend up to a 70% loan to value um, and that that's kind of common for that kind of banking model there depending on some other characteristics of the property there's probably some other options out there um you know like fha for example allows manufactured homes if it meets a list of criteria um so it's it's probably worth looking into to see what some of the more mainstream programs are capable of but i got to tell you that the manufactured home thing continues to be pretty difficult because you know, a lot of even though some of these bigger programs offer um, like FHA and, and these kinds of things, the the lenders themselves are nervous and not wanting to do too many manufactured home loans. And with that said, though, we have one bank that that um, f- they do have a manufactured home division. It's based out of Minnesota. Um, Fannie Mae and FHA both offer loans to that property type without restriction, really. Um, it, the trick is finding a bank that will offer it. And we do, out of our out of our um, quiver of about 30, 35 banks, we've got one that really has a, a, a good handle on that property type. And they'll do FHA up to 96.5% loan-to-value. 
um, or they will do conventional financing up to 80% loan to value. So the, okay, yeah. The, yeah. This uh, this guy's got um, just a couple quick quick caveats here. He's got fantastic credit. Um, he purchased the the home about two years ago, and based on the purchase price um, from where he is today, um, he's he's got about sixty thousand dollars of equity into it. Um, the, the, one of the problems that came up was the. Um, um, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the survey. Well, when they come out and they do a, um, appraisal and, um, they, because of the manufactured home status, they were comparing stuff that was, you know, 28 miles further out towards California Valley and really not an, an uh, equitable comp. Um, and that can so be the, that can be the problem. You know, even if you can find a bank that will accommodate the equity position of the home, finding comps can be very challenging if it's not a common property type. And that's often why you find a lot of banks don't want to even engage in that property type because comps are the most challenging part. It's, t- it's tough to put a value on that property. Um, so there would need to be adequate comps. I would say at least one, if not two, other manufactured homes Within, gosh, I'd I'd say you could stretch it out to maybe five miles, um, but you know you yeah, get that, much that's beyond what that. I was thinking. It's yeah. it's hard yeah. to, it's hard to say that this property twenty eight miles away in a completely different area is a comparable property, um, and that's what the bank that that's where their nervousness would be in extending credit. We see that quite a bit actually. People that will fit the guidelines for every other reason, but then there just aren't sufficient comps within a reasonable distance. And, you know, when they go further like that or farther back, then it leaves the bank feeling uncomfortable, uh, especially if, I mean, it's one thing to to be have a lot of local knowledge about the different neighborhoods and areas and um, to say, well, yeah, we even though this one's six miles away or whatever, we know, we're confident it's the same value. But oftentimes these lenders, they don't know that. They don't know what neighborhood is higher or lower, and it, it puts so much uncertainty on what they're doing that the safe answer when giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, particularly on a manufactured home, they just go, eh, we just, we're not going to be able to make this happen. So in that situation, you may your friend may be faced with with waiting and watching for that next nearby manufactured home to sell, and then jump on the on the process. Right. So is this something that he should just contact you guys and see if you can help him wade through this process? For sure, definitely. yeah, definitely. Okay. And and you know, we can look at the the different programs and just see what's possible. Um, and we have ability to run. You know, and sometimes we rely on some of the real estate relationships that we have, but we'll we have the ability to kind of pull some comps and see what's reasonable, and um, and oftentimes can if we think we have a good fit, we can send the scenario over to like the bank's underwriting manager and see, you know, hey, this is kind of the framework of what we got working, and before we spend any money or invest too much time, you know, what are the odds of success and. And those people, you know, generally they don't want to waste any more of our time or their own time. So we usually get pretty straight up answers about that kind of stuff. Right. I'm pretty sure it came back. The comp came back at a a 20% value on it that he's got 20% equity into it. So that's, you know, should he's already got a appraisal per se um, that the other institution pulled. So yeah, it sounds like sounds like it's worth looking into. Okay. What's uh, what? 
Yeah, what's the name of your guys's? I know it's Mortgage Matters, but what's the name yeah, of your Yeah, Central Coast percent? Lending is the name of our company, and you can reach us at 543-LOAN. 543-LOAN. Okay, I'll pass it on. Thanks a lot. For your All time. right. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate the call. Love diving right into those loan scenarios first thing. Yeah, the loan stuff is the fun part for sure. <laughs> I wish we got more of those calls. I, I like it when people call in. And number one, one of my favorite things about work is when somebody goes to another institution and is told no, and then we can make it happen. I love that. It happens a lot. Um, happened again this week over a Quicken scenario. Um Somebody got the runaround with Quicken and then came to us and was like, not only can we do it, but it's cheaper. So that's pretty cool. Love those scenarios. If you guys want to call in and ask a scenario question, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Brian was already loaded with the number here, but 543-8830 is the number into the studio. 543-8830. We'll go ahead and uh, go to the first commercial break here of the series. And uh, when we get back, we're going to get into some of the news stuff that happened this week, and I'm pretty excited about it. Of course, the middle of the hour here, too. This is the um, this is the time of the month where we get Wes Burke on the show. So we're going to have Wes on the show, and I'm pretty excited about that. feels like it's been a while since he's been on the show, but I think it's because I missed a show that he did with you. Um, but so I got some questions for him, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with Wes again. So... Um, keep the dial locked on Mortgage Matters. We'll be back in a couple minutes here with more. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Homeowners, did you lose equity? Is your loan owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac? Even if you pay your mortgage to someone else, you may still be eligible to refinance your home at today's super low rates. At Central Coast Lending, we are experts at using the HEART program to refinance underwater homeowners. Even if you think you know who owns your loan, call us. It's worth the time. This HEART program is temporary. Don't miss out. Call 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626 or log on to centralcoastlending.com. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts.
<laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> this was this was, I guess, after the romance theme here of the. Uh, you know, I was thinking more along the lines of like, you know, I've had the time of my life, or right. you know, one of the. We could do the duet right there. Wow. Jim's playing some fun music for those of you that are joining us late. This is uh, the five-year anniversary show of Mortgage Matters, and we're pretty proud to have been able to do five years' worth of Mortgage Matters. It's been fun. Hopefully, we'll get to do five more. (laughs) Huh? I can't believe it hasn't been syndicated yet, frankly. I keep thinking. Call's coming. One of of these days, they're going to call, and... You know, and we're going to have to tell them. It's going to have to be a pretty huge contract, guys, because, you know, probably going to have to relocate to the big city. <laughs> we got this thriving business here in Slow. That's the beauty of radio. You could just do the show right here. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. You know, we've got this professional studio with the brand nice new, new equipment. Chairs. Yeah, oh, although I can't hear out of my left ear. It makes me feel like I got, like, a ear infection or something. You should probably switch headphones before Wes gets here. He said it's the... Uh, the uh, input jack here on the board yeah you know it's weird though is i got it pretty turned up in my right ear so that i can be sure to hear you guys and every once in a while something happens where it gives me both ears and it's like whoa and then it's gone so yeah that's what's happening oh boy yeah so uh you know dan there's um there's some data stuff we should talk about real quick before wes gets in here and um you know, I was so excited. You know, you know what I did yesterday. What'd you do? I locked a loan. I locked a loan for another uh, Cal Poly client. By the way, all you Cal Poly professors and lecturers, administrative workers, event coordinators, landscapers. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. We do a lot of loans for the folks at Cal Poly, and we're so grateful. So grateful. Um, so anyway, I had another client from Cal Poly this week. It was awesome. Um, has uh, We went through the list, and I had done loans for five of her six office mates in the last year. And it was, it was just kind of interesting because it wasn't all necessarily from one or the other. It was kind of a little bit of that and a little bit of chance. But anyway, um, we locked in a deal this week for them. Um, Three point three seven five again. That was pretty huge. We have no points with a you know and the APR was three point four one, but that's killer. And I was just thinking right on because for a long time we moved off into the three and a half coupon where it seems like we spent a month or two at three and a half being kind of the general no points kind of deal. And now to watch that slip into the three point three seven five thing was pretty cool. Um, and it just makes me think that there's still a lot of people out there that could refi. I mean, this gal is saving more than $250 a month in interest to, to drop the rate down. And it's always a little hard for me because I, I, I'm dying to know. Like, hey, how come this is the first time you're doing this in like five years? Rates have been so low. Um, she's just busy. A lot, lot on the plate. Didn't seem that important. Happy with the loan she had. I'm like, dang, we're saving you so much money. Should have been doing this a long time ago. Yeah, it's amazing how much it the interest rate environment's changed in just a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, we have recently gone through and just looked at old client files, and you know, about a twelve to eighteen months ago, rates were about a full 
percentage point higher than they are today. Yeah. So I there's was, an opportunity for nearly everyone who did this about a year, year and a half ago. I was super impressed with that. Um, it seems to me that we've been doing the three and a half thing forever. And a lot of the files from just a year ago um, were four to four and a quarter. And like, yeah, those are the people um, that could stand to, to refi again. And, you know, I I know at least with my clients, I, I generally err on the side of, the first scenario that we deal with when they come in is just the one with the lowest fees. You know, if it if we can do this and cost you nothing, and then what's the payment? How much does it save you? And you know, so if it, if really there's no cost to the borrower um, and it saves you a hundred bucks a month, is it worth it? You know, eh, most of the time, usually is. I mean, over three hundred and sixty payments, you're talking another pretty good amount of scratch. Um, the so then from there, then you can evaluate some of the other rates, you know, going down in rate. Is it worth it to pay points? You know, this one's going to break even for you in four years or six years. And what's your plan kind of thing. But um, it, it's surprising to me still how few people uh, realize that the bank offers these closing cost credits at the different rates. And so, you know, they're always based on loan amount. And that's probably one of the trickier things is when you have a hundred thousand dollar loan, if you get a one point closing cost credit, that's only a thousand dollar credit. That credit isn't going to go to cover all of the fees in the transaction because title and escrow and appraisal and underwriting fee are relatively constant. I mean, title and escrow varies like 25 to 50 bucks, depending on your loan amount or something, unless you're talking like the really high loan amounts. But the underwriting fee and the appraisal fee really never change. So as a fixed cost, they make up, you know, if, if those fees are generally $2,500 or so in a transaction, on a $100,000 loan, you would need a two-and-a-half-point credit to cover that, whereas on a $400,000 loan, you know, three quarters of a point is going to cover it. So not everybody can get that totally free loan, but um, getting that closing cost credit. And so my point is that that if more people understood that, I think more people would show up to refi. Because they remember the last loan that they got, you know, four or six years ago, wherever they got it. And they remember having closing costs of five, six, eight thousand dollars $8,000. And they go, um, I don't want to do that again. And so... I'm always trying to remind people, and that's kind of one of the base points of where I start out with people, even when they first call, is, hey, real quick, you know, this is how this stuff works, and, and what we're going to do is figure out what all of your scenario would would equal out in the closing costs and stuff. But the general idea is that you can use the interest rate to cover the fees of the loan. Um, and once people catch on to that, they're like, man, I should have done this a long time ago. It's like, heck, yeah, you should have, because rates were lower um, you know, probably in the fourth quarter of last year than they are today, but they're still pretty stinking low. Um, so anyway, that that's a that's kind of a call out there to all you guys that are maybe sitting on some kind of rate. And I was thinking about that on the drive in. You know, where would I draw the line in the sand? It depends on your loan amount. You know, if you're if you owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more, and your interest rates three and three quarters or more. You should probably really be calling. Um, figure out what those options are to do a lower no-cost refi. Um, and, and then, of course, the other end of the spectrum here is the people that could do a shorter term. 
drop down to a 20-year or 15-year term, um, you know, if you've had your loan for seven years, you got 23 years to go with these lower rates, you may be able to do a 20-year loan and come out with the same payment. Uh, and getting out of three years worth of paying two grand a month is... It's a lot of money. Again, a lot of money. That's what's incredible is you you drop down in term, and you might not see a, ca- a monthly cash flow savings, but you'll see a tremendous savings on the bottom line interest that you pay. Yeah, I pitched a client um, a couple weeks ago. was like digging through the list on people that were a little bit higher, and um, I did a 20-year loan for some people um, just over a year ago. And this one I offered a my... Headline to my email was, let's raise your mortgage payment. And I and I spelled it out in the body of the email, but I was looking at pushing the payment up by 65 bucks a month. But that was going into a 15-year loan. So it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know. Hey, let's refi you into a higher mortgage payment. You can afford the 65 bucks a month, but we're going to get you out of four years' worth of that mortgage payment. That can be a game-changer, especially if you're looking at retiring. I see a lot of people try to plan retirement with having the house paid off. So if you can somehow make a deal where you can get the term of your loan done four years earlier and now you can retire four years sooner, that's huge. That's like the gift of life in some cases. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of people out there I think should should do that, should call. We have loan officers live Live, real live bodies in the office on a beautiful Saturday. So if you want to call into the office and check out your options, you can do that by calling 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We've got offices all over the county, Paso Robles, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, Rio Grande. And virtual offices. Virtual offices online. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so um, <clears throat> let's do a little bit of the talk here about the, the – um, economic stuff well Um, since you just came off rate yeah i want to mention the 10-year note relatively calm this week yeah it's the 10-year treasury note it's historically been the benchmark uh for tracking where the 30-year fixed mortgage um is going up or down you want to look at the 10-year treasury note yield if you like to watch cnbc it flips up at the top of the screen periodically throughout the day um, hovered, I mean, in a real tight range, right around 170 all week long. I think that's where it actually closed. And again, these are the lowest yields on the 10-year Treasury since last year around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. Um, so we weren't sure that we were going to see rates this low again. Um, granted, it's only you know it only moved up about a quarter of a point. Into, yeah. into the winter and early spring here, but now it's back down to those historic lows. Um, and it's creating a great opportunity here as we head into buying season, home buying season. And what would just make this a perfect um, perfect environment for the real estate world for transacting homes is seeing more homes for sale so that people could get accepted offers and take advantage of the low rates. So when Wes gets in here, we'll talk a little bit more about the inventory issue. Yeah, and I was um, that that's right on par with what I want to talk about with Wes as well because the I saw a lot of headlines this week about um, a bubble now in the housing market, um, and you know, and we've been talking about it a little bit, but it's funny now to see it getting some kind of national news legs. 
feels like we're a little bubble sensitive, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, we've been sensitized to the bubble. I mean, we've had three months of a really odd market with lack of supply. Before that, there was, I don't know, I guess it, I guess it moved real quickly from an oversupply to an undersupply in housing. Tough to say that it's a bubble, um, but still, yeah, it'd be interesting to get a little more color on on where we're at with inventory. Um, historically, you get into April, May, and you start to see more listings as people, you know, it's the ideal time to move when you've got the family um, out of school during the summertime. Yep. So we'll see if we start to pick up. So the uh, the ten year yield that's great. Um, it it was yeah, made it to the two. Plus range a little bit there, and I, and I, I felt like I was nervous about it then, wondering if it's going to be the new norm. So it's pretty great to see that being so kind of settled and, and natural, normal, right in its range this week. Not not a whole lot of volatility. Um, Some of what seems to be keeping that tenure note down is a little bit of mixed data. For a while there. Um, in the in winter coming out of the holiday season, all the data seemed to be pointing upward. And now we're starting to see things a little more mixed. Um, and in particular, we're seeing volatility in the unemployment benefits and the unemployment rate and some of the things that make up the unemployment rate, like labor participation um, and and items like that. So this week, you know, the unemployment applications are a weekly figure. And we like to track where the trend is taking us usually we'll look at the four week average because it kind of smooths out some of the some of the um, volatility and this week we saw it move up a little bit just slightly 352,000 new jobless claims i think for a while there we were down in the 320 range 320,000 range so we're now up to a level that's not really consistent with moving that unemployment rate down it's more of a, a number that will sustain the existing unemployment rate um, without a significant increase in hiring, and hiring's also been down um, from yeah, previous months. And you know, economists say that initial jobless claims that are less than three hundred fifty thousand a week are indicative of a, a moderately growing jobs market. And so, I, I'm not I'm not too disappointed in seeing it be right around three fifty right now. I think moderate growth sounds reasonable to me. Um, we saw in recent weeks it get as high as I was 386. And so, I mean, we definitely have seen the 320s, 330s kind of numbers. But um, so, and that wasn't huge news. I mean, that was kind of, it was expected unchanged and more or less was unchanged. So that's pretty good. Gold was all over the headlines again this week, too. Um, I should have warned all the gold investors out there that I got a gold coin and um, just about two weeks ago, I guess. And since I got a gold coin, you got to expect that the price of gold's going to go down. <laughs> no. If, you, if you're if you having a drought, I just need to go wash my car. We'll get <laughs> some rain. Um, you know. So, yeah, price of gold, surprising. Fell over $100 an ounce in a single day. And um, I, I did, I saw a little bit of uh, commentary this week, people saying, are the mortgage rates tied to the price of gold? And the answer is definitely not. They haven't been. <laughs> no. But, you know, some of the news that moves some of the gold stuff is also influencing investor opinion over mortgage-backed securities and these kinds of things. So um, why the recent drop in the price of gold, Dan? 
I don't know. We were actually talking about that earlier this week, trying to come up with an idea. I mean, in, gold traditionally is an inflation hedge, so um, that seems to be what's been driving money into gold. I, I remember back when we started our business in this radio show about five years ago, we saw gold right around $800, $900, and it had recently run up to that level. And I remember talking about gold, yeah. about whether it was a good investment or not, and it seemed like it was a bit high at the time. It proceeded to double in value yeah. from that time until 2011. It's been kind of stagnant for the last year, and now all of a sudden we're, we've seen about 25% of the value of gold go away. Yeah. So has there been a change in the outlook for inflation? So not only has the value of my dental work dipped a little bit, <laughs> so has my recently acquired gold coin. Um, and, you know, I, I've been checking out some of these gold blogger dudes lately talking about gold. It's interesting to me. Um, investors, and it sounds like really just investors are nervous about faltering demand. When gold was going, like you said, Dan, if you looked at the graph of it from 800 up to the, what, 1700-ish? Is that I think it got up to 18, maybe close to 1900. People were jumping on the bandwagon. Hey, look at everybody's buying gold, and it's so smart to be buying gold. Um, and so then demand falters a little bit. You got all these guys that were in at the, you know, two, four, six hundred dollars an ounce kind of range, seeing it at eighteen hundred and going, you know, the inflation thing still doesn't seem to be paying off. Uh, banking crisis relatively averted. Um, even European debt woes and all these issues seem to just be somehow being managed well enough that maybe this gold is overplayed and begins selling for some profit. And so then suddenly you see kind of the free fall in it as there's just a, um, the growing supplies now of more gold out there. So anyway, good time to buy gold? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Down, down to uh, some of the recent lows. A lot of the people who owned it at uh, 16, 17, 1800 think it is. Yeah, they're doing that <laughs> investment strategy of adding on. <laughs> right. I just get more and it lowers my overall basis in this gold, you know. Well, a couple of the other things that I noticed this week um, consumer sentiment jumped to the highest level that it's been at in five years. So um, that's good news. Seeing, and it was a uh, broad-based. Are you talking about the Michigan University of Michigan? Oh, this is actually a Bloomberg index. It's yeah, Bloomberg's been tracking their own now, and, and this is a funny one because this these ones contradicted this week. The universe, well, next year we have consumers, or next week we have consumer sentiment. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment <clears throat> Report that came out this week said that they fell to a 72.3 after three months of gains. Hmm. This one says it was up to the highest level since 2008. Why do we have multiple comfort well, sentiment indexes? And these sentiment indexes. indexes, when you get in there and read about them, by the way, if you're interested at all, just do like a wiki of consumer sentiment and look up the wiki as the definition of who's the polar and how they're polling and who they're polling. And what you see is it's interesting. A lot of this stuff is based on um, phone calls, households, and they ask them questions about the short-term and long-term um, 
g- potential growth of the economy? How do you feel about unemployment? How do you feel about your job, your likelihood of increased wages, all these kinds of things? So it depends who they call. Yeah, so the guy who was happy when the Bloomberg person called got upset by the second or third phone yeah. call, survey call. Why are you bothering me? <laughs> yes, gold's, a pr- gold's falling in value now. <laughs> yes, I'm paying less at the pump, but I don't care. All right, we'll skip past that then. Obviously, it has no merit here. <laughs> we, we've got another... Um, this one's actually important. These, the, the index of leading economic indicators. So those are things like your pending home sales. The LEI. Yep, that's a big one. Um, that fell for the first time in seven months. Um, and a lot of it, it, the general feedback was that it's just not quite as strong um, across the board as we'd like to see. Growth is kind of stagnant, um, possibly leading to maybe a poor reading for GDP, which also is coming out next week, the first reading for quarter And when one. that leading economic indicators number comes out, um, it, it was coupled this time with the Philly Fed. Um, and the Philly Fed is one that's also looked at, again, just as an, a leading economic indicator type of measurement is what's going on in these various sectors of the economy. Um, and both of these slipped at the same time this week, showing um, basically what they chalk it up to is that indicators are showing some growth, but it's slow. And, you know, we're all, of course, just looking for increased growth, rapid growth. We want to solve the unemployment issue. Well, we that's to- what our economy is based on. It's an instant gratification. I mean, our whole world's instant gratification now, and our our American economy is based on growth, constant well, And, and at some movement. degree, that's that's capitalism. I mean, no, you, totally. capitalism, if you're not growing, you're in trouble. Right. So you've got to keep it in a constant. And that's one of the challenges to this economy is keeping it in a constant state of growing, adding, getting bigger, better, more efficient. But too much is not good. For it's gotta sure. be gotta be in the right wheelhouse here. Then one other contradictory report here. I'm I'm not sure. Is this the Fed Beige Book? Beige Book did come out this week. So that said growth was moderate or modest in all of the Fed's twelve banking districts and growth accelerated in two of those twelve districts, New York and Dallas. Right. Yeah. So now we've got some reports saying that growth is unspectacular, and then we've got the beige book saying that growth is Average to above average across the board. Yeah, my notes on the Fed Beige Book this week said um, I read slow and steady growth and then, um, yeah, moderate growth. And I thought in and of itself that those two things were a little contradictory. So that's possibly why people are just kind of holding where they are, holding the position until we figure out where we're really going. Yep. Next week's going to be a wild week, and I'm glad we have Wes on the show. We've got a lot of home sales data. We had a little teaser this week um, about California sales, but next week we've got the existing and new home sales numbers, and again, we'll start to get into inventory. We've got a caller waiting on the line. We've got Dan calling from Oceano. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Morning. Hey, you know, I have an interesting one here. I don't know if you guys have been following this at all, but man, I'll tell you what, I actually signed up and I posted on it on one of these websites have you ever, have you heard of these things called bitcoins yes oh yeah oh man i'm trying to figure out because i posted on there where is the money what's backing it it looks like a fiat currency i mean you know i've got gold i got a little bit of silver i got real estate and you wouldn't believe i mean 
I just went in there on, like, the first of this month, and it's so funny. I mean, I got, like, 475 hits on my questions and then my replies about this is looks like a fiat currency to me. Interesting and stuff. It's really bizarre, but, I mean, I ended up with a, with a bronze star and, you know, some sort of a – I got, like, a positive eight, you know – uh, reputation, and that, all I did was post a question. <laughs> hey, we um, Wes just walked into the studio here, and I wasn't going to let him talk until after the break, but this guy knows about the Bitcoins. So, what do you know, Burke? Well, it's not quite a fiat currency, if I understand it correctly. Fiat means that it's backed by a gold standard. <laughs> Bit- no, fiat means that it's just printed money. I mean, the guys who started it are all rich. They were the ones that actually, uh, I think a couple of the guys that um, got messed up on the uh, Facebook when when this IPO, Yep. I think they're the ones that started it, and they put a bunch of their money in it. But, you know, I'm trying to figure out how this works. Where's it back so you... You know, and then also the mining thing is some sort of uh, you got to have a computer that's online. I don't know what the heck. I mean, I, no matter how I look at it, I can't figure out. You know, okay, you're mining these dollars. There's only so many of them there, and you have a computer that I don't know goes out and spams people or what. But I, you know, no matter <laughs> what I read, I just can't understand. And it's still about, you know, like Bernanke just printing money. I mean, it's about the same, but, I mean, at least gold, silver, you know, if you have carrots in your backyard and you're trading that, that's real currency. People need food. I I, I want you to talk more about this, <clears throat> Wes, but um, a friend of mine was describing to me the Bitcoin thing. And, and from, from what I understand about it, it, it was invented – um, by a guy named Nakamoto after the 2008 crash. And he wanted to come up with some sort of currency that was not manipulated or driven by government in a, in a way to trade. And, um, and I know it's a big part of, like, the gaming community, but it's sort of transcended that now out into to other markets. Okay, so, Dan, um, let, me, let me agree with uh, and correct the semantics. Fiat, you're right about fiat. It means it's not backed by, by gold. So this is not backed by anything. The fact of the matter is these coins are created by computers solving very complex mathematical algorithms. And there are um, computers that can be set up to work these mathematical equations, and as they solve the equations, they're awarded bitcoins. The bitcoins are housed rather than any in rather than in any central location. They're housed on a peer-to-peer network. So you have a wallet that is a digital wallet that's stored on your computer or your. Um, your hard drive, and it can be it could be a USB hard drive, and the the coins are added to your wallet um, either from mining activities that you're engaged in, which typically mean you have a computer dedicated to working on these algorithms, and as they generate coins, you can send them to your own wallet, or you can go on to um, exchanges, online exchanges, and you can purchase bitcoins using traditional currency. Right. There are about 11 million bitcoins in circulation right now, and the 
as more people begin to mine the coins, the algorithm is intelligent and it becomes more difficult. So the difficulty in solving the, the math becomes more difficult to slow down the ability for coins to be generated. Yeah, and the other, the other thing, yeah, um, I read that part of it. And I've gone through it, and the other thing I've also seen, you know, reading this bulletin board that, you know, some people have, you know, like lost, you know, 300000 bucks worth of Bitcoins because, you know, they got hacked. But the whole thing on it, and then also, I mean, I can see sort of the thing. What they're saying is this is a currency that you can go to, you can find somebody that will come and give you cash for your Bitcoins, or, I mean, I'd like to know if you'd be able to buy a house with it, but the whole thing is is it's, it's sort of invisible to the IRS. You can have this money you can generate. That's a currency that you can use anywhere in the world. And, I mean, I can sort of see the, the concept, and it also it locks out the government. Well, the, there's an ability with bitcoins to have your wallet remain anonymous. And that's one of the things that some people like because it, it can do some of the things that you mentioned, Dan. It, you can you can hide it from the government. I mean the government can't identify whose wallet has how many bitcoins in it. It also has brought controversy to the whole – to bitcoin as a currency because one of the most popular uses of bitcoins currently is, is nefarious activity online. There are black markets online where you can engage in illegal activities like buying drugs and yeah. bitcoins are the are the currency that's being used most often for those kinds of transactions but one of the other challenges is that bitcoins aren't accepted at, in very many locations currently however that's beginning to change i mean i read a, a full page article in the week magazine this morning on bitcoin and they listed a few of the vendors that are now beginning to to use bitcoins. Yeah, pizza places and stuff like that. Sure, I mean, there's in, a whole bunch of places. But the whole thing that gets me on this is they nailed the guys that did the Norford dollars, and they were actually backed with gold, platinum, and they got them on the coiny jack. And I mean, I have a Norford dollar. It's beautiful. It's one ounce of pure silver, and it says twenty dollars face value. And it's worth, I mean, okay, silver really took a hit, but, I mean, it's really worth 23 bucks if you talk USDs. And they nailed them on the coiny jack that you can't accept these things because it's you're counterfeiting money, but it doesn't say USD. It says, um, it says trust, um, it doesn't say God. It says, yeah, yeah, God. It says trust in God, which is good on demand. That's one of the the things that this article I read speculates is that the U.S. government may step in and uh, attempt to shut this whole thing down. Oh, I'm sure they will because it uh, it competes with the U.S. dollar, and well, there's, there's laws against creating <laughs> currencies that compete with the U.S. dollar. There's a um, the words that are used to describe the kind of people that are doing this are like anarchist and you know deviants and well libertarians. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the North Four Dollar, as far as I'm concerned, that was a good idea because it was really backed. And they went and they seized all their gold, their silver, their platinum that was actually backing this stuff, and they put the guy in prison. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, go figure. You actually have a currency. It's actually backed by something. People willing to take it. You don't have to take it. 
And it doesn't say U.S. dollar on it. It said it's just good for $20, equivalent of U.S., but it's not really a U.S. coin, and it's obvious it's not a U.S. coin, other than the fact that you know almost looks like an old silver dollar, which is really beautiful to hold. But they nailed them on that. I think these Bitcoin guys are going to you know, end up the same way. You're probably right about that. Dan, thanks so much for your phone call today. We really appreciate it. You and bet. As Have a good always, one. for listening. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. I do think the government's likely to intervene in this Bitcoin thing pretty quick here. Um, you know, Wes, as you mentioned, the, these computers compete in complex problems and are awarded Bitcoins, and they call it mining. The Bitcoin market then is sort of uh, because it's not backed in anything. It's it's highly speculative. Um, I, I read recently that uh, Bitcoins, though you could buy you you could you used to be able to buy a Bitcoin for less than a penny if you just so desired. So a hundred bucks, you know, you could get yourself a, a handful of Bitcoins. They had a point less last week where they traded for two hundred and sixty six dollars a piece, and then tanked to fifty five dollars a piece. So this is yeah good. right right now they're back up to about one hundred twenty five dollars. When I first started watching bitcoins, they were uh, they were trading as low as as one or two bitcoins per dollar. So I, I think it's interesting that this currency was created with the idea that governments would not be able to manipulate the value of a bitcoin by by creating more of them. Sure. So well, the concept this- was this would be a limited quantity, therefore it would have uh, a much more stable worth. But the, the truth is the bitcoin environment has been incredibly volatile. So interestingly enough, though, as you say that monetary manipulation is problematic um the computers that compete to solve these math problems it's kind of like a lottery where a new problem is released like every 10 minutes and you can get in on it and be the winner by solving the problem so so far 1100 bitcoins have been mined from these methods 11 million 11 million and they're stopping at 21 million so there'll be a life cap on the amount of bitcoins that can be made so then you run into that same – the same issue of um, you know the need to print money and make money. It will be interesting to see how the, the panel that runs the Bitcoin market will determine um, how they'll release more Bitcoins and when and at what rate. At, because it will it'll undervalue the, the, the Bitcoin itself if there is no more supply in within the system. And you can see if it's trading in a range in a single week from $255 to $55, there's some pretty radical volatility in there. So how silly are you if you sold some goods at, at, and accepted Bitcoins at $250 per dollar? And or per Bitcoin, and then days later had to liquidate the goods, the Bitcoins back at sixty dollars a piece. Yeah, it's, you it, got clobbered. Yeah, the lack of stability is is problematic. I think for for the for so that. the government will shut it down because it's it's complex. But it, I, I honestly reeks of scam. I honestly don't know if they can. I, I mean, this is a peer to peer currency that doesn't exist in any central resource or central location. I mean, they could. They could make it illegal to utilize and and uh, transact with bitcoins, but people are still going to own them, and it it may 
it could drive the value up even more. It sounds like a little bartering token or something. Because no one can it's ever a, no one can ever take their Bitcoin and ultimately receive cash for them, right? Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Are, I mean, the the final holder. Say someone accumulates all the bitcoins and yeah, you yeah. Know, you what do can. they do with it? If you let's say you had bitcoins today, there's, there's a market other, where you can sell them for U.S. dollars to people that either want to get them to buy drugs or fund terror or to buy an extra life in a video game that they're playing. Right. You can buy like an avatar with them or something. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, but the reality is, is that. When it's not based on anything, how is this any different than a Ponzi scheme? That's what it sounds like. Some guy came up with Bitcoins, let these guys come in and start buying them, realizing that they're in short supply, Um, especially if they're good at accomplishing illegal activities, there becomes a premium on them. Who releases the formulas that generates more Bitcoins? It's it's all automated. The, The paradigm was created by a guy who's disappeared um, no one really knows who he is. They they speculate that he's not actually of the descent that he claims, and but th- it's all set up and running. And now you know computers can log in, grab these algorithms, and and go Weird. to work on them. And theoretically, once um, all the problems have been solved and all the bitcoins distributed, it's over. What's the average Bitcoin sales price of a home in San Luis Obispo County? <laughs> I don't know any title companies or <laughs> sellers that are yet willing to accept Bitcoin for uh, home purchase. That's too bad. Oh, you got like some Lord of Warcraft dude out there or something that's <laughs> totally willing to sell his house for Bitcoins this Well, I, I promise you there are a large number of people out there that bought um, stockpiles of Bitcoins in the you know three, four, five, six dollar range that right now feel like it was a pretty bright decision. They should unload. You know why? It's off in mainstream media, dude. It's everywhere today. Some, that some will drive, guy from that will drive, um, that listens to Mortgage Matters is hot on the trail. That will drive uh, Once the demand word's out. Up. Yeah, drive demand up into the bubble that ultimately the government will figure out how to shut down. And then everybody that had these imaginary Bitcoins they used real dollars to buy will be sitting there wiping up their real tangible wet tears in the soup line. Good morning, Jason, that we know and love. <laughs> Come on, man. Bitcoins? It's ridiculous. It's laughable. You got to get rid of this kind of crap. Jason started it, didn't he? It's true. <laughs> oh, wow. Bitcoins. I'm going to make bitcoins. Happy anniversary, guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I would like to say that I'm glad to be here, but I was a little tortured by the fact that it's 82, sunny, and there's no wind outside. Yeah, we One more hour to go. doing everyone a service that's hiding out from the weather today. So um, you're welcome. Stay inside. Listen to the radio. All right, guys, we've got to do the top of the hour break. We'll be back in a few minutes here. we got another hour here with Wes. We're going to get serious and talk about some real estate stuff. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. We got some uh, time here to spend with you. 
Dan was rattling off the list of the people that are um, inside listening today, and uh, we won't we won't cover it again. But we're happy that you're with us. We know that the weather here is uh, awfully inviting. So yeah, maybe you're streaming on your iPhone as you're like walking on the Embarcadero. Good for you. It's beautiful weather. How's Morro Bay this morning, Dan? Was it's it gorgeous? It was sunny. Oh, warm, sunny, looking gorgeous. epic. Hey, before we get into this second hour, can you close the skylight? It's just so so bright and warm in here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't like all this natural light in the studio. Because you're used to living in Morro Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, all right. Well, um, dang. Good morning, Wes. Good morning. We got you jumped right in. So you guys, you know, Wes is one of my uh, best good friends. I love this guy like a brother. Um, we've had some awesome experiences together, and our friendship is mature enough. We've had some highs and some lows and been through the thing. This dude's a dynamic guy. And uh, when you see him in business and stuff, you know, he, he looks the part. He's got the nice pants on and uh, always a, a well... You know, he's put together starched shirt. He's got some those cute shoes that. Wow, uh, where's he going with this? I don't have any of that stuff. And he's know, so man. eloquent and just, just great at, at talking and, and you know and solving problems and everything. But, um, but, <laughs> but what you got? There's so much that you just don't know about this guy until you get to know him. And this fact that he knows about the Bitcoin thing uh, is like. <laughs> um. <laughs> In a couple hours here, he'll be riding a tractor wearing these cowboy boots, you know, with a funny-looking hat on, all covered in dust and mud, dirt stuff. And So I, I'm always just blown away here just to get you in here. I see today Wes is in a shirt from Banana Republic or something here, but he clearly hasn't showered today. <laughs> And uh, so he comes in looking like a schluff on the weekends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a face for radio on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, well, this has been great. Uh, so far, we've covered bitcoins, um, hygiene. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, you're only supposed to shampoo every three days. I heard the wives talking about that the other day. You're actually kind of right. When I get out of here, I'm going home. I'll be on a, I'll be on a tractor. My, I'll be elbow deep in dirt and gardening and and irrigation. And so I just figured, you know, why why wash it all off? I'm just going to pile more on. I think I'll come over with some beers and see if I can do a little tractor work for you. All There's right, still this, that 10-year-old boy in me that likes to drive the tractor. This you know? show's out of control. Dan, can we talk about real estate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really fired up to come in here and tell you guys all these fascinating <laughs> stats about um, about inventory. I was pretty excited about that, too, honestly. And I talked earlier in the show with Dan that um, you brought it up over some article in Inman on Tuesday. And then it seemed like every time I turned around, I kept hearing... Um, somebody else released a blog or a news story about the new housing bubble and investors pulling out, um, tying it to these super low interest rates. And some of them, I mean, and we even are one of our marketing dudes threw a blog up on the site on our website, um, kind of tying it back logically to interest rates being so low that people have this almost, again, a false affordability. And when that goes up, when those interest rates go up, less people will be able to qualify. 
and these recent gains we've seen in the housing market are going to implode and we'll be back to square one. Well, I think that we unfortunately are still suffering a hangover. We we see a market that looks a whole lot a whole lot like the party that got us into trouble last time and we just start scratching our heads saying is this is this sustainable? I mean, you know, the stats are out for last year. We know that both nationwide across California and 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 in San Luis Obispo County we saw about 10% appreciation, and we're seeing activity right now based on the lack of supply that is on par with having another year uh, at or above 10% appreciation. And I think that, that rightly so to some degree, we scratch our heads and say, isn't this how we got in trouble last time? But it's different. It's it's Last time it was due to an oversupply of – of money to unqualified borrowers, and this time it's due to lack of housing inventory. So it's two different. I, I agree with you, and and what caused all the trouble when the bubble popped last time is that there were so many people that were not qualified for the mortgages they were in, and once the um, once the promise of magic equity disappeared, there was nothing left to do but run. So I do think it's. I agree with you 100 percent, Dan. It's different this time, but what's I think what's what's happening. Is that there's some there's some concern out there, there and this is a sentiment driven game. Confidence drives our markets, and if the consumer confidence wanes, then ultimately demand may wane, and that may bring supply and, and demand back into um, more balance. Some fear that it could take supply and demand you know um, too far to the other side. I don't see it happening. Although, um, Jason, you were in our office meeting on Tuesday, and we did talk about some of this, and I, I was surprised by the fact that we've seen in the last three weeks a jump in inventory in San Luis proper from about 45 active single-family units to today there are 80 active in the marketplace. Well, and don't you think, though, and you're going to be a better gauge of this than most, um, how many weeks in a row can people be hearing, oh, it's terrible, there's nothing for sale? And then the other part of the conversation is, yeah, you put your house on the market, and the first day you got 12 offers, and it's going to sell for more than you asked for it. I mean, that's been the water cooler talk for a few months now. And and I think, you know, as Wes, you well know, I just went through the home buying process myself. Um, we are sort of immersed in this, so I'm, I wonder, am I – maybe a little bit sensitive to all of that. Is that really how it is? Um, feels that way with all the clients that I'm working with, really feels that way. So how long can that be talked about coming off of a period where if you needed to sell in the last five to six years, um, you either couldn't because you were taking way too big of a hit um, or because you're upside down and didn't want to go through the short sale, had some faith in the market and held out. But now that this is kind of the first season where people go, huh, okay, I I did want to sell before, wished I could and couldn't, and now here we go. Um, so that gets talked about enough, and then maybe – so maybe this is just the first wave of those people um, that finally can and are coming out to sell. And Well, and you're talking about people are scared about the appreciation – figures over the last year, year and a half, and I'm wondering who those people are, because it's certainly not the 
buyers, the home buyers, because I think every one of the agents, loan agents in our office has about, I, I don't know, more more qualified buyers than they can count on their fingers and toes that can't seem to find a property to buy. So they're not being scared away. They're, well, they're frustrated that they can't find something. I, and I don't think many people are being scared away, but there are reports that some of the investors are slowing down or waiting on the sidelines to see how things unfold. And I think their primary concern is that in, as interest rates change, that will have an, uh, such an impact on demand that um, that, appre- that this appreciation we're seeing may go away. But uh. I don't really even know that, that we're seeing that in our market because uh, this was um, referenced in a news article by Inman News, and it was from a practitioner in Colorado that, that said that they're seeing investors start to wait on the sidelines. We're not seeing it locally. But what I was curious about is is if we could identify that there has been a spike in inventory here locally. So this morning before I came in, I, I truly believe that I would be able to demonstrate that statistically. But when I jumped in to do the homework, that was simply not the case. Um, that between January and March, there were 175 new listings in the county, um, or in San in San Luis Obispo. There were 175 new listings in that period. So far this month, there's 53. So you do the math, and we're really just seeing new inventory introduced at really a very normal pace. And the countywide, the numbers were 1182 for the first three months of of the year, and so far in April, 321. So, you know, I can't demonstrate that there's a spike in in inventory, even though we do have more active listings now than we did. There's some of that is seasonal. We see it every year. And when I go back and look at the amount of inventory this year, even even just in April versus 2012 and 11, we're seeing about the same increase in inventory, um, which would indicate that the adjust the adjustments are just seasonal. Yeah. And the other thing that I think will really help put this in, in in perspective, take San Luis Obispo as a case study and recognize that there are 80 um active listings on the market today. Well, I've got one office out of literally hundreds in the county. In San Luis there's probably 30 some odd real estate offices. I'm just one of them and I'm not nearly the biggest one. But I've got um, let, let's round up and call it 50 for the sake of the discussion. 50 agents. Each of those agents is working at any given time with anywhere between five and 15 to 20 buyers. So there are that many people just represented by my office out there looking for a house right now, and there are 80 available. So things would have to change so radically. Yeah. For the supply and demand equation to come back in balance, fear that that change is going to happen rapidly enough to toss this market on its ear is just not conceivable to me at this point. Well, not only that, but there's a, there's a few other things that I think you – when these guys jump to these conclusions are isolating some things that aren't quite isolatable. Number one, rents have had an, an upward pressure as well. Um, the rental market, especially locally, is tight as it's ever been, and um, rents are going up. So that continues to keep that gap narrow between the affordability to buy versus rent. Um, so number one point there is that um, you, as a potential buyer, you would be looking at this going, you know, well, if I could rent it for 2200 or buy it for 2500 which is the smarter deal. And as long as that 
that gap's pretty narrow. I think that that, that presents some motivation in and of itself. The second thing is um, I think we have a generation right now, the people that have bought homes in the last few years here, don't care one iota about appreciation. You know, yeah, I want my house to be worth more money. That'd be cool. That's not my plan. And I have a 30-year fixed mortgage that I can afford, and I fully qualified for it based on my income and my assets and my credit. So but it doesn't you, matter to me. But you, just like most buyers today, and I'm agreeing with your point, they are not out there looking for a house that's going to have the most – Appreciation over a short span of time, You're and that's buying what was houses. driving five years ago, right. seven years ago. People, I mean, no joke, man. The girl that cuts my hair had acquired four properties in the previous year because they were all going to make eighty thousand dollars of appreciation this year. And that speculation, if it was already inflated, that speculation drove it over the top, and it was all facilitated by wild loan products that also relied on appreciation. Adjustable rate loans, negatively amortizing loans, bullet loans, you know, with a balloon, a 30 doing 15 or whatever those, all that funky stuff, which by the way, doesn't really exist anymore. Those loans beg depreciation as well. In fact, absent of depreciation, their homeowner was on a really big crash course. And we learned that, especially when not only did we not see the projected appreciation, but we actually saw some deflation in the home value. All of the people with those crappy loans got into a whole lot of trouble. And so we don't have any of that today. And you know what? Next year or whatever, um, two years from now, if you came and said my house was worth 10% less than I owe on it, I don't care. I got a 30-year fix, man. And I and I bought my house knowing that appreciation is not really a likely thing, at least that not that 35% a year kind of junk that we saw before. Um, so what's the big deal? It's a 30 year fix. We, it's always going to be the same. It's going to be the same forever. And you know, the other thing too, is that all of those people that gave up and did foreclosures, I, they did so because either they couldn't afford the payment in the first place and they used a funky loan to get it. Um, but they had no motive, no motivation to stay. They, the future was uncertain. Today's buyer knows it, What's going to happen? You have my payment in month 300 is going to be the same as it was today, you know, so that you're psychologically you're you're dealing with a, a whole nother angle of this. And I just I don't see it, you know, and furthermore, I, I looked at um, just like to kind of make the point here, let's take a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house at um, a three point seven five percent interest rate. And I mean, that's. That's probably the average rate that's going on today with the banks and stuff because those guys are always a little bit higher than we are. Um, principal and interest on that payment's twelve ninety six a month. Okay, so if you took that same three hundred fifty thousand dollar house and jacked that rate up to five point seven five, and and is that is that part of what's going to happen here? These higher rates are going to cut people's affordability. Absolutely. Um, that payment goes up by $238 a month. Is that a deal breaker? 
Is well, that going to lead people? I mean, and now because because the next step is now we're going to be suggesting that these people were on such a thin margin that we all bought at the very top of our affordability, like a forty four point nine 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 DTI. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of people's finances inside and out every day. Well, I know, and that's why you should answer the question. Is $300 that a, a month, that's a cheap car payment, man. And I see people come in with $800 car payments and stuff. So I don't see that change in payment. And by the way, a mortgage environment um, of five and three quarters percent, that's right about probably the high end of what I think is reasonable in the in the mortgage market in the in the next decade to come I don't think we're going to see it go any higher than that um, it's it's brutal but let me tell you what what is likely to happen at that standpoint people will go oh but the adjustable rates four percent okay now now you have the affordability of 2000 12, 13, even in the light of a higher market. And, you know, as long as we're not coupling that with stated income, interest only, negatively amortizing, all these other really detrimental things, adjustable rate loans are used around the world and they're very effective and they're actually pretty darn safe. So when I look at all that, I'm like, so is it the pullout of the investor or is it that the interest rates may go up that's driving? headlines basically everywhere i looked this week jim dan mark the fifth anniversary is a a time a moment in history i think jason just made an optimistic argument it kind of was and i it's logical though the point was brought up will the 200 dollars or 250 dollars a month swing in payment change the desirability of buying a house significantly and i'm gonna say probably not um we see a lot of People come in and get qualified for either a purchase or a refi, for that matter. And well, let's let's stick with the purchase people. They want to know what can I qualify for, and oftentimes it's several hundred thousand dollars higher than what they're even comfortable, right. you know, with as far as a purchase price. Which, you know, really they're focused on the monthly payment, and we can get them qualified for significantly more house than they want to pay for. This is a standard part of every conversation I have with a new home buyer. How much can I qualify for? You know what the answer is? $800,000. More than likely, more than you feel comfortable paying. It turns out a lot of people feel comfortable with about a third of their gross income going towards housing. Versus the half the guidelines will allow. Right. So you know what's more likely to wreck this housing market? I knew we'd get there. What's more likely is the sobering up of the people that write these guidelines and them coming back saying, you know what? Using gross income to qualify for mortgages is a little reckless because you don't have gross income. You have net income when you sit down and pay your bills. And allowing people on basically every program to be at a 50% of their gross income debt-to-income ratio versus they're going to end up with net income and that higher payment, there's a disconnect there that's been in place forever. And it's no, funny. But no, I, gross income is the only um, way to compare borrowers across the spectrum before they start using tax loopholes and things like that to affect their net income. Gross, sure. gross income keeps things on a level playing field. Um, so I don't think you can ever really change that. You could change 
the debt ratio based on gross income, though. Yeah, and and as a former underwriter, I would suggest that you're right as you're on how do you evaluate all people with some metric and um, the gross income thing. I get what you're saying, but there's okay if we got to use gross for that reason, maybe we should be doing forty percent of gross and not fifty. Sure, um, because it's nuts. And if you take somebody that makes five thousand dollars a month gross. And say, hey, well, you, and this is how it works. You qualify for a mortgage payment, including tax insurance, of $2,500 a month if you have no other bills. So that's a 50% debt to income ratio, $2,500 a month. Well, let's look at your net pay now. Since your net pay wasn't that five grand, your net pay. So on paper, we're thinking this guy's left with $2,500 to pay taxes and live. But in reality, this guy's getting probably 3800 bucks a month, and we just signed him up for a $2,500 a month mortgage. So, okay, <laughs> we're getting into rewriting the world of finance here, but I I, I want to challenge that. We're, we're now being acclimated to this world of automated underwriting and yeah it you know lowering the debt ratio down to 40 percent for someone who makes four thousand dollars a month maybe that's a prudent way to go but for someone who makes you know ten twenty thousand dollars a month limiting them isn't necessarily the right thing i mean you got to look at the rate the debt ratio in tandem with their disposable income sure if someone's got five thousand dollars of disposable income a month why are you limiting them to 40 percent or some some other standard that's for someone in a completely different income bracket understood and and i have to agree with you i my point more is that when when we move forward the pressures i think in the market uh interest rate to me seems like it's not really one of them it doesn't it it and you know I was sitting here and I was thinking about, you know, what's 300 bucks a month? 300 bucks a month for most people, that's your just your cell phone and your charter bill. And you'd be stoked if those two, by the way, for your house are only 300 bucks a month. 300 bucks a month, um, that's a yeah, that's a cheap car payment. Uh, most of us spend more than that per month on gasoline. Um, 300 bucks a month. It's like 300 bucks a month is kind of chump change. Everywhere I look, somebody else wants 100 bucks a month from me. So I just I don't see that as a driving force. And then as a final thought, Wes, I want to rope you back into this conversation. You know what I say to the investor right now, at least? Good riddance. Good riddance, investor. They've been in here mucking this up for the last four years, and I'm glad they bought some houses because it helped with some inventory issues. But they have been swinging all cash, pushing people around, making it to where for a little while there, we saw listings in the MLS saying they wouldn't accept an offer from people using an FHA loan, wouldn't accept an offer you know, based on some other metrics of these things. And the reality is that um, I think investors come in and exploit a market when it's way in their favor. And the fact that we saw such an investor concentration tells me that it was ripe for the picking. And now that they're beginning to bail out, that to me is a sign of a little bit of normalization or equalizing. And I'm happy now to know that the investors packing their bags and going home because now, you know, that you said you guys are working with five to 15 people per 
So that means that in your office, you guys are working with, you know, 250 to 1,000 people probably. I personally have 20 families pre-qualified right now that are looking for homes every single day. And they're competing with one another, but they're competing with every other loan officer's pre-qualified buyers. There's a lot of people that want to buy a house right now that can still afford it. The interest rate is still low. And, you know, the absence of the investor for all the pressure on those people, I'm like, fine, take a hike. Come but like back you said, when it's ripe for the taking for you again. But that may be the situation in Colorado or wherever that story came from. But around here, we're not quite yet seeing the investor pull out of the market, right? No, I I haven't talked to anybody that's seen that. Uh, we still have plenty of investors that are engaged, and do I, you guys, I don't see their sentiment changing. Do you have metrics though? Like, would you would you be able to comfortably say of all of the people you're representing? Is it 50-50 between investors and owner-occupant buyers, or is it way more slanted in one direction or the other? Yeah, right now we're we're working with with, um, more owner-occupant buyers. We're working with fewer investors and more owner-occupant buyers. And does that feel like that is changing from what it was two years ago? Maybe to some degree, but I think it's nom- a nominal change. It's it's nothing that feels – and this is just a gut response and nothing statistically driven, but I, I don't think it's been a drastic or significant change. We don't get a lot of um, investment Purchase loan things. purchases like that. Um, I think part of it's because those guys pay cash sometimes, but um, it's really kind of not that common, you know, if – People that come in for us are looking to buy their house, their first house, or um, they're selling a house and getting a move-up house kind of thing. Um, it, it seemed to me that 10 years ago, and maybe it was just because I was in wholesale lending and it was um, a little bit different, but um, I had people buying second homes like crazy. It was almost like, dude, if you didn't have a second home, what's wrong with you? Or an investment property, you know, how do you not own a, a fourplex in Phoenix? Everybody else does, and that's how they're making that extra thousand bucks a month, you know, like that kind of stuff. And that seems pretty uncommon today. So I I kind of feel like the headline folks that sit there and write this stuff to sell papers or gain readership or whatever it is that they're after are sort of trying to glorify the good when it's good and the bad when it's bad. And this week, hearing all of that, it got a lot of popularity. I saw it in a variety of places. One of our own wrote an article about it, and I thought, you know, I, it's just hype. And and what are you are you guys? Maybe it's the investors, the ones writing these articles, that try to scare the owner occupant buyers out so that they can keep gobbling up and getting richer. Um, hey, don't buy now. It's going to be worth 20% less in two years because you guys are foolish. Well, I, I think where there may be an impact is we've talked about in here um, on the show and, and outside the show also about these big money management organizations with hundreds of millions of What's dollars. What's that company, rest. Blackstone? Is that what they're called? I believe they're the biggest the biggest of the big. They've bought like some ridiculous amount of like – a million properties or something nationally. And if those guys start to slow down their acquisition rates, it might be noteworthy. Um, you've got to anticipate that those guys really have sophisticated metrics that 
that drive their business model. So I'd be curious to know um, if they've slowed the pace of acquisition or not. And when they're when they're acquiring millions of properties, those guys dropping out of the market, it could have an impact. But I, I'm tending to agree with you, I think, Jason, that even if some of those players did step out of the market, it's going to not be enough of a decrease in demand to upset this mark to upset the market significantly and what it might do is bring a little bit more um, rational market to to the forefront so that people can actually make reasonable decisions without feeling like they have to you know manipulate and and decide before they've had time to digest etc and the other thing that you just can't forget is that real estate's local and that in San Luis County, we love to say, I mean, when you talk about the market in San Luis, insulated comes to mind right out of the gate. We have kept a really tight rein on um, new construction. You know, it's part of the, the no growth mentality of the Central Coast. But for that very reason, um, when... You know, if you see the investor pull out at the same time as housing tracks going in like crazy all around your house, uh, it might be a good sign that the uh, oversupply is going to s- slow your value down a little bit. Um, is that going to happen here? Nah. Well, we do have some new development that we hope comes online soon, but no, I agree. I don't think there's enough of it, even if it was all built out rapidly to, to upset the Some of the that equation. new development, by the way, I've already heard people saying when it was like in its infancy stages of planning, it was going to be homes in the 400s. And now that it's getting closer, it's going to be homes in the 500s. And I'll just bet that when it's all nice and done with these beautiful new houses and slow, it's going to be homes in the 600s. Well, I, I I bet that these guys are not um, in quite the hurry that they were to get through the permitting process and, and get yeah. sticks on the ground because every day that their product is worth a little more than it was the day before. Yeah, makes sense. All right, guys, we're going to do a commercial break here. Um, did you guys catch that uh, thing in the last break, the new couple of CCL commercials in there? Wondered if you noticed that. I saw Wes roll his eyes though when he heard the mortgage Sherpa jingle, and I'm not sure if that's because you just don't want to like the Sherpa, but he's just nudging his way into your heart, or if it's because you know you're going to be single that jingle for the rest of the day. Maybe a little of all that. Well, listen here, because I think Jim's got one loaded in, and then we'll talk about it after the break. Stick around. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical. Like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state. State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Is that a beautiful weather reference, Jim? Is that a reference to the beautiful weather? Beautiful weather and burning uh, love. Yeah, Jason's love for me. Yeah, the honeymoon of the show. The you know the anniversary of the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been five years. Did you guys hear? I know Dan knew. So, yeah, Wes, what would you think about the new Sherpa? I'm all for the Sherpa. You like it? I love it. I think it's kind of funny because, um, you know, we were trying to come up with something catchy, uh, but some people are pretty annoyed by it. Like, I can't believe you would do that. Is this a joke kind of thing? But I was actually hoping, um, you know, they say there's like no such thing as bad press. So if it is obnoxious to people, I just hope they go talk to people about it. Have you heard that new Mortgage Sherpa commercial? I don't think it's that annoying. I, I think it actually demonstrates a little bit of your sense of humor in a way. And <laughs> I, I think that's good. Yeah. And that's the question, though. Are you is there room for a sense of humor in a finance transaction? You better believe it. A sense of humor is sometimes what keeps us sane in the middle of these transactions. Yeah. I think so. I like the commercials. I think they've got a good mix of information and um, entertainment. Yeah. They're on Charter, too. There's a, you can actually see the Sherpa. We definitely agonized over them, though. Yeah. The Sherpa been... was a – there was a lot of debate as we came up with this concept and uh, came up with the scripts and things like that. It was, uh, we'll see if the Sherpa sticks around. Yeah. It's our, you know, it's our version of the Geico lizard or the Aflac duck. Yeah, we got like we've a got the mortgage we've got Sherpa. The Sherpa. Yeah. And it's great, you know? Do you know what a Sherpa is? I mean you do now because you've heard the commercials. No, I, I know what a Sherpa is. I've had enough, you know, a few friends that have done crazy treks to Nepal and things like that. See? Need a guide that can carry the load of two mules. And we've got a Sherpa here just to help you hike Madonna or the escrow process. Yeah. That's what we do. It's good well, stuff. I uh, I thought it was great that um, in in the break Jason said that the the phones lit up at Central Coast Lending when you announced that you've got live um, brokers ready to handle loan issues right the now. Power of radio. 
It's alive and well. Say it again. Make the phone ring again. Here or there? <laughs> <laughs> Let's try both. If you guys want to call and talk to a loan officer about checking out one of the shorter amortization terms or a lower interest rate, ideally both, um, or to get qualified to uh, buy in this golden age of real estate, call the office. It's 543-LOAN, which is 5626. Um, now, the... Other opportunity here for phone calls is for you guys to call in and uh, ask a question here on the air. Um, we got a scenario question early on. I love scenario questions, um, and so you could ask one of Wes. This guy's like the he's like the real estate guru, and then you got a couple of mortgage sherpas in here too. Um, so if you want to ask a question or, you know, share maybe a scenario, recent experience that you've been dealing with, it makes for good radio. 543-8830. And look at that. It worked. Yeah. Let's try it. Uh, Michael's calling from Atascadero. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Uh, you know, this uh, discussion you've been having, uh, these things are happening all over the state. Um, there's a real estate show over in Fresno that I listened to you before you guys come on. And um, he said that 40% of the properties over there are by being bought by investors. So I called him up and I said, in a normal market, what's uh, the investors? And he said, 10 to 15. Okay. I said, well, where is all this big money coming from? He said, Goldman Sachs and other big giants. And then I also read an, uh, an article that said it, that, um, what's that private equity company you just mentioned, uh, Blackstone, uh-huh. that they had bought 10,000 houses and they're doing this globally. And so what we have here is another bubble building. Huh. And, and, and once these guys, I don't know, I mean, who, uh, at some point, uh, 40% of the people who have Goldman Sachs for a landlord, I mean, um, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, your neighborhoods are going to all, all go down because, you know, uh, the homeowners keep their places up better. Uh, and are they waiting to a certain point where they're going to flip? I mean, the mortgage rates are so low, they can, they can borrow favorable rates. Uh, you know, and then, then you know, they've been bailed out before, and, and, and now they're even saying, you know, the, um, that that uh, the attorney general holder in test- testimony said that well, they're too big to jail, that it, uh, we, if we prosecuted them, it would have a negative effect on the economy. I mean, you know, so these guys have got a, you know, these guys have got their hands around the, the you know, the financial throat of this country. Yeah. So look, but in a, you know, and first of all, I, I feel like we've got this like. Uh, somehow desire to label everything and you know the smartest guy in the room is going to pinpoint or call it out before it ends up becoming real uh, so now so now here's this idea of this bubble um so first of all again an investor gets a, a high rate of concentration when it's ripe for the picking um and when these guys begin to slow down i would argue that yeah, maybe it'll slow everything down a little bit. I don't think that them pulling out pops the bubble. Um, and if they came in to sell, if they sold their stock so rapidly that they cut their own throat, they would in fact have popped their own bubble. And so I got to imagine that their exit strategy was as well thought of as their entrance strategy. And I'm not really concerned that they have the ability 
to manipulate the market in a selling or a just even stopping buying in a way that's going to harm themselves or any of us. So I, well, I, just, I don't you're, see you're, how it happens. You're talking about exit strategies. You know, Goldman Sachs and an exit strategy? I mean, you know, if they were so smart, how come they caused the economy to crash? Well, you know? I, rather than answer that question, I would just like to say about about this market and whether it's a bubble or not is that I just – I don't think that one year of 10 percent appreciation on the heels of multiple years of – more depreciation than that really puts us in in the arena of a bubble and if these guys back off on the on the buying now slow that pace and and give this market an opportunity to be more normal then it just doesn't look or feel like a, a bubble to me I mean, a bubble to me is when we have rapid unsustainable appreciation and right now it, it, we're appreciating but it seems like uh, it's at it's at a at a moderate rate that that is sustainable. Well, and if you look well, at these... I, would, I would disagree with that because you're seeing 15, 20, 30 percent increases in a year. My, my uh, niece lives in Lakewood, and, and uh, she she's a nurse. She makes a decent living. She was qualified to buy a house, uh, you know, and get all the first-time home buyer credits and all the rest of that. And she found this two-bedroom, and she, she, she uh, 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 you know, said, okay, I'll pay full price for it. And, and I'll have it financed and everything. Somebody came in there and paid $50,000 over asking and paid cash for it. And so this is not just these big outfits that are doing this. It's starting to spread to other people as well who happen to have some money saved and stuff like this. This one, it starts to become more dangerous. And, and um, you know, the composition of this is way different than what happened in the aughts, you know. This is, this, this is big money driving this. Uh, and then you're, you're not talking about some guy, some, some guy who said, oh, look, I can make money off of this and I can flip this or I can help but, pay for my kid's education or whatever. It, it, the composition of it is different. But where are we making the allowment in this argument, though, for home values to have fallen by 50 percent and um, – psychologically be, you know, so many people were unwilling to buy four years ago because it's like, for sure, it's going to be worth less last, next year. And the credit market was still um, much tougher. But psychologically, people just weren't ready and willing to buy. So um, do you draw the line at the very bottom and say it's gone up by 10%, it's gone up by 20%, it's causing all of these problems or potential problems? Or do you say, hey, man, the people that did reach out and buy in 2009, 10, 11 um, took a risk that really paid off because they bought when it was even more depressed than it should have been? And now we're measuring from that bottom versus, you know, we still haven't even recovered the equity that uh, we had in the housing market to to begin this crash. Well, I realize it, but that was overinflated in the first place. I mean, it was, our house was ridiculously priced. I was laughing at it. And we didn't get involved in any kind of speculation at all because we, we thought it was too much high risk in the first place. And and But, you know, I, I, you know I guess time will tell, but, but let me just – you know, throw a couple of other things in here. How, to qualify for a house now is much tougher than it was then. Okay, you got to have 700 credit credit scores and the like. You know, and and you didn't have to have that. And, and also, here's the Fed that, that's, that, that's been pouring all this money, in, you know, uh, to keep interest rates low. And the idea was to revive the economy as a whole, not to give Goldman Sachs a stranglehold on the housing market. So, you know, here, here Ben Bernanke's given putting all this money out there, but it's not doing what it was intended to do. So 
to me, that makes it dangerous. That's arguable. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is that, I mean, we've refinanced thousands of people now that have improved their household cash flow and freed them up to invest in their retirement or um, whatever other expenses, you know, is participating in the general economy. So it's it's... That's a tough argument to make that this the holding rates low hasn't helped the average household. Maybe not the unmortgaged household, but I've seen it affect a lot of real live local families. Well, refis, okay, that is one thing. I, I don't disagree with you there. It's it's it's, but it's the composition of this and the yeah. and the interests that are involved in this that make me afraid, because these are the people. Who take these really high risks? These are the and these are the people, the, the private equity places that only only pay twenty percent on carried interest, you know, right. and and only twenty percent on capital gains. While you know, the, um, if somebody makes you know the uh, a certain amount of money, they can pay thirty nine point six. But these 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 outfits, they don't make their money from 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 wages and working. They make it from capital gains and and from and from interest and and um, you know and 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 stuff like this where so their tax rates are lower anyway and they manipulate the hell out of the tax code so that it favors them and it screws us hey michael and, we and appreciate so, you so listening I, I, i'm just saying that these people are in a, in a much more to cause a lot of damage. Right. Yeah, they do have a lot of money to throw around. We appreciate you calling in, Michael. We appreciate your point of view. Uh, we do have another caller waiting patiently on the line that we want to get to. Uh, we've only got a few more minutes in the show. If you want to squeeze in a phone call, you can do so calling uh, the studio here at 543-8830. Nathan from Atascadero, thank you so much for waiting patiently. You got it. Thanks for taking my call, and I'm enjoying hearing you uh, discuss the market locally. Of course. Um, so here's my question. Uh, my partner and I purchased a home in Atascadero about five years ago, and we are looking now at refinancing. We've spoken with our local credit union, and initially they told us that we'd be qualified for our heart uh, refinance, and we wanted to go to a 15-year loan to get it uh, get our home paid off more quickly. And once we went through the the process, now it turns out that we, we have too much equity in our home for a heart yeah. loan and yet not enough to uh, do the loan without a PMI. And I wondered if you could just talk about what the, what the thresholds are and, and maybe give us some guidance. Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, you're always going to be getting a, what I'm going to consider a pretty bizarre set of answers from a credit union. I mean, you've got to remember that credit union function totally differently um, than like the banks do. They don't use the same programs. Oftentimes they're loaning out depository funds. They just, they do it differently. Um, the HARP program initially um, didn't have any thresholds about, uh, you know, how much equity you could have or a maximum amount of equity you could have. The change into HARP 2, um, to my knowledge, did add some LTV thing, but I've never had it come up in one of my transactions. I've heard it talked about that, you know, you couldn't have a 85% loan to value or a 75% loan to value. I've heard people say that, but we do them all the time. Um, so, you know, and I was talking about this on the show last week. I had this, this couple came in from Los Osos that wanted to refi and we thought they had 20% equity easy. The appraisal came in short. Suddenly they were an 85% loan to value. 
um, and needed mortgage insurance. So we checked out the HARP program. They were eligible. We refied them at 85 with no mortgage insurance on that. So the it's at a minimum there's some conflicting info out there and um i i'll tell you what one of the ways that you you know best nail down this harp thing is you make an application the first thing that we do is run it through the Fannie Mae engine and it tells you whether or not you're eligible for a harp loan and then what all of the requirements for the loan are we can literally do that inside of an hour once you fill out the app it's pretty straightforward so you know, and then secondly, the other thing I just want to divert a little bit from the harp topic and say that um, mortgage insurance is definitely an arena where not all lenders are equal, and credit unions pale in comparison to the products that are offered out in the broad market. For example, you know, maybe you're an 82 or 85 percent loan to value, um, and, and mortgage. Ins- Insurance doesn't seem attractive to you, but I have a few thoughts about it. Number one is there's programs where you can pay a fee, and when you're when you have a substantial amount of equity, but just not twenty, um, it can be as low as a half a point where you just buy the mortgage insurance out. So on a three hundred thousand dollar loan, it might cost you fifteen hundred bucks, but you never have mortgage insurance ever again. Get your fifteen year fixed at two point seven five percent and be stoked. If that's not an attractive option, the borrower paid mortgage insurance monthly on a transaction like that um, will only be in place until you have the equity. Um, it, it Again, when you have equity but not the full 20%, we do policies sometimes are as low as 60 bucks a month. There's so many combinations of mortgage insurance and products that um, I – I really am excited to hear from you this week, and I'll show you the different options to make this happen. Um, you're you're in a lendable spot where there's some great opportunity for you, um, and I, I just I, I feel like you got some mixed info and, and maybe some bad info. Great. Well, thanks. I'll be giving you a call early this week and uh, and do it. Yeah, do it. Um, the number to our office is five four three loan, and um, you know you can you can call. That'll get any of our offices and be happy to help you out. Um, it's it's what we do. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks, Nathan. Um, for Nathan and everybody else that's listening, uh, I just want to I want to do this. Um, you can go to the website. We have spent a lot of money on a secure online loan application. Nathan, you can go in there and key in all of your stuff. Um, there's a spot in there where you can enter in, in the contact info. You can say what you're you know, trying to accomplish, though it's generally pretty obvious from the way you answer the questions. Um, that stuff, we get auto-notified when you do that, so we can go in and download the application and then do all of that legwork and call you back uh, really to schedule an appointment to review the options. And it's so streamlined and easy when we do it that way. So if you have any interest at all, do it. It's centralcoastlending.com. Click the Apply Here button. You'll notice the URL turns secure. It'll have you set up an account with a username and password. And then you just start answering questions, hitting next until you get to the end. It, it usually takes 10 to 15 minutes if you know the answers to questions. It's easy. Um, so I encourage people to to check that out. Um, the 
Yeah, the the answers are so different, and we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show. But um, different banks offer different products, and they some are better at others. And that I think is one of the best things about being a broker is that we see it all. We get the product offering of all of these different banks. We understand the products and the ins and outs of them, um, and. You know, there there's a there's a lot of option out there, and if you if you've been told no by a credit union or a local bank or even like Wells Fargo, again, these guys all have different metrics by which they do these loans, and they're not all equal. So you can employ expert like us to be able to navigate um, these fifty different banks for you. And could you imagine having to call on fifty banks? Uh, it'd be a nightmare, but it's easy for us because it's what we do every day. Um, we're kicking down to the end of the show here, Wes. I, I wanted to ask you today about like a featured listing, man. What's the? Although, do you even need to talk about that stuff? They're just flying off the shelf. So maybe, um, maybe some of these folks that are ready to sell ought to just be giving you a call to get your property listed and and sold. Well, I'd love to talk to anybody that's uh, in the market to buy or sell. But yeah, we've you know we can you can check out our featured listings at PattersonRealty.com. But uh, it's imperative if you're a buyer in this market, you need to have a relationship with a good agent because if you don't have the computer program to alert you the minute stuff comes on the market, you're just going to miss opportunities. That's that's the reality of the circumstances. I really enjoyed that in our home buying process where we set up parameters like an air, areas and price range, bedroom counts, all the things that were important to us. And then we got notified by email or a little ding on the smartphone to say, hey, something else fits your deal. And how many of those, Wes, come up where it's like we see it at noon and we had better make it our way out there before 3 o'clock? Or somebody else was going to be there buying it. Yeah, that's the way it is. And and even now, often in the entry level stuff, even if you get out there in the first couple of hours, you're uh, you're amongst a crowd. Yeah. But um, you you've got to do that. These I talk to buyers all the time that call on signs or they they saw something on Zillow and it's it's just the wrong way to uh, to approach this business um, the way that it is right now. So. Give me a call direct. You know, I'll take your call all weekend. What's the number? 805-801-7061. If you're a buyer, we'll get you plugged into the to the system so you're getting those email alerts. If you're a seller, call me and let's talk about value and how we can get you more for your house than you think it's than you think is possible. As always, thanks for coming in today. It's been fabulous to have you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks and again, happy anniversary, you guys. It's a great service you bring to the community. Check us out this week on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Our website is so much more than a mortgage site. There's awesome articles on there. Um, there's a skincare article this week. Don't miss the site, centralcoastlending.com. Call us at 543-LOAN. We'd love to hear from you and figure out how to solve your financial problems. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next week.